0: This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad.
1: A lot to do on a Tuesday drive. Today's going to be another fun, full day of college basketball. We got the first Make it the second college football playoff ranking, set to drop. Carolina's in action in Maui. I see that. Bill Walton's on the call for that game. He just called Asheville one of the five friendliest dog cities in all the land. Not a stunner that Walton is in love with the land of the sky. And looking at some of the other games tonight, Duke-Michigan State in prime time. Kentucky will look to recover from the Richmond loss with Kansas. Uh, in its sights but I actually want to begin with football and an update on where things stand with Teddy Bridgewater and to do that a quick reminder on what this season is about for Carolina regardless what coach rule says it's not really about wins and losses this year instead it's about figuring out who on the staff and on the roster can be long-term assets but here's the biggest question Is Teddy the long-term answer at quarterback? Well, we are 12 games in. Carolina's one of the two teams in the league that hasn't had a bye yet. Tampa's the other one. And we still don't have a definitive answer on it. Meaning, these last four games are going to decide what direction Carolina goes in long-term, making these four games, for me, all about Teddy Bridgewater. That is the primary interest for me. It was one of my primary interests going into the year. His play of late cranked up the heat on that discussion. Not us. I thought Teddy for sure was going to be the franchise guy, going to play out his three-year contract the moment that he won his third straight game without Christian McCaffrey in the lineup. Remember, Carolina, 3-2, and riding high, Matt Rule, is he going to be coach of the year? Is Carolina potentially a playoff team? Well, since then, you got the P.J. Walker win a little over a week ago. But as I mentioned, it was P.J. Walker, not Teddy in the lineup. Teddy has lost six straight starts. Sunday being the worst game of the year for him statistically. He blew the game. All the things we were sold with Teddy Bridgewater – he did not deliver on. We were sold on his accuracy. He was about 50% completion. We were sold on his leadership. He's throwing Joe Brady and coaches under the bus, saying the reason that third down play didn't work was because they panicked. The play came in too late, even though, again, we were sold on accuracy. The play worked where DJ's wide open in the back of the end zone. Teddy just missed him. We were built on his responsibility, his discipline. His ball security. He had an interception in the red zone. They lost that game. Teddy was a big part of the reason. So now this conversation's open back up. This is not a tanking Carolina team. There is a difference in rebuilding and tanking. Carolina is not stripping away good parts with the intention of losing. They're just trying to get younger. So this year they could figure out who among those young pieces are guys they need long term. There is a difference in those two terms. Carolina is trying to win games, and they did win early on, which means they're expecting now Teddy to win some games in the last fourth of the season. When you look at at Carolina's current position for the draft, with Philadelphia losing to Seattle last night, Carolina is right behind the Eagles at seventh if the season ended today they would be picking 7th which is prime position to select the quarterback look at last year at number 6 that's where the chargers drafted Justin Herbert who i think everybody across the board agrees is a franchise quarterback you're probably not going to get Trevor Lawrence in fact i'll speak with confidence you're not going to get Trevor Lawrence at number 7 But you can get the third-best quarterback. It was good enough for the Chargers. It might be good enough for Carolina. It could be Justin Fields, depending on some evaluations, if there's not enough tape on him, considering Ohio State is having difficulty playing games right now. It might be Trey Lance out of North Dakota State, who we heard a lot about. Daniel Jeremiah, in early projections, had him better than Trevor Lawrence and Fields. It might be Zach Wilson, who's flying up draft boards. In fact, I see Wilson on the Athletics draft board right now, one of their analysts saying, Wilson's better than Fields. Maybe it's him out of BYU at number seven. This is a spot, whether Teddy likes it or not, Carolina needs to take a good hard look at quarterback. It'd be a perfect circumstance for a rookie to step into. Can you mold in a lab a better situation for a quarterback as a rookie to go into Than being paired with Joe Brady not having to play immediately as Teddy Bridgewater, who seemed to be one of the best guys in the league, teaching you the ropes. And on top of that, from an organization standpoint, Teddy, when the rookie quarterback would be going into his second year, has no guaranteed money on his last year of a deal, so you can get rid of him if you want to at that point. It's perfect organizationally. It's perfect for the rookie to step into on top of that. You're going to have D.J. Moore, Robbie Anderson, maybe Curtis Samuel if you extend him, and that Christian McCaffrey guy to work with. You can't imagine a better situation for a rookie quarterback to step into. But that's only if Carolina's picking in a spot that can get a first-round franchise quarterback, franchise-quality quarterback in the top 10. It's up to Teddy to make sure Carolina's not drafting that high to get him. To get any of those guys, I should say. Because I still expect Teddy to prove he can be a franchise quarterback. I think that's what's going to happen over the next month. Now, I've been a believer in Teddy, and that hasn't changed. When I look at the schedule, Teddy's going to have a good opportunity. There are some winnable games there. I think in order to be outside the range of drafting one of these franchise quarterback-type prospects in the first round to be outside that range where you would have to trade up in order to get a Zach Wilson or to get a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance, Carolina's going to have to win two more games. Here's what they have left. Denver coming out of the bye. That's going to be in Charlotte. At Green Bay on a Saturday night, they're going to go to play Ron Rivera's Washington football team in D.C. and finish things out against the New Orleans Saints in Charlotte. Two of those four games at face value, very winnable games. Plus, Christian McCaffrey. He's going to be back in the lineup after the bye. DJ Moore, his test came back uh, back negative on his ankle. There's a chance he could play against Denver in a week and a half. Who knows? With the Saints having the best record in the NFC right now, there's a chance that last game's not going to mean anything for them. They might be going up against second and third stringers. So if you're Teddy... You have a great opportunity to beat your former team in that spot. Carolina wins two or three games. They're not going to be in position to draft a quarterback unless they trade up, which I think most people would be against, myself included. Carolina has so many needs elsewhere that I don't think I'd be in favor of giving up significant assets to pick a quarterback when you still need tackle, when you still need more defensive pieces. You need a corner. You need a safety. Carolina has other needs. So Teddy, the last four games, it's about him. It's about him proving he can be a franchise quarterback. Not having to be a franchise quarterback, proving that you are capable of doing so at 28 years old. Proving that your best days still might be ahead of you. That you are the best option over the next few years for the Panthers rather than folding up the tent over the next month Carolina being in a position they could draft a quarterback, get one of these secondary guys to Trevor Lawrence, Wilson, Fields, or Lance. You could tweet the show at SportsUpDriot, 336-777-1600 is the phone number. However, and wherever you're listening, we appreciate that. Let's head south of the border where we've got two big developing stories, Robert. College Game Day has announced they're going to be doing their show from Myrtle Beach. It's going to be Coastal Carolina set to be ranked in the top 20 when the playoff rankings come out the night. Set to be ranked in the top 20 again. They were already ranked in the top 20. They're 9-0, facing one loss Liberty that's ranked in the AP poll. That's going to be played Saturday, and you're going to have the game day crew there. So start thinking about potential ideas for the game day show to best encapsulate what Myrtle Beach is all about. Then you got South Carolina and Columbia looking for its next football coach. In terms of candidates, there's been a lot of good reporting on this for close to two weeks now. And based on the list of potential hires that I see, it seems pretty clear who the Gamecocks are trying to hire. It's Dabo Sweeney. No, no, no. They're not going to get Dabo himself to come from Clemson to coach the Gamecocks. They're trying to find their own Dabo Sweeney. The favorite in pretty much every story that I've read, is Oklahoma associate head coach Shane Beamer, which would be an unconventional hire for a Power 5 program in the SEC. Given that he has no head coaching experience, he doesn't even have coordinating experience. Do you know who that sounds a lot like? Dabo Sweeney, who was an untraditional hire, wide receivers coach, promoted to be the interim head coach, won enough games To have that interim tag removed. A lot of people got mad about it. And of course all of them look stupid. A decade later. Shane Beamer. He's young. 43 years old. He's energetic. He worked under Spurrier in Columbia. He's the son of Frank Beamer. Young and energetic. Who does that remind me of? Can't quite put my finger on it. The other name being thrown around. Very popular pick. For South Carolina to hire. Is Hugh Freeze. Shouldn't surprise anybody. But let's dive into Hugh Freeze's background. No, not the ex the uh, <laughs> the stuff going on with escorts. Not really interested there. And him using a, a work phone to call an escort service. None of that stuff. Going into his background. He's from the Deep South. He beat Alabama and Nick Saban twice over the last decade. Sound familiar? Sounds like Things that Dabo can say. Boxes he can check. I beat Alabama and Nick Saban twice. Uh, I'm from the Deep South. Hugh Freeze, very public about his faith. To the point where he's getting criticized for it. Dabo, he does that quite a bit too. Which is also something that helps him in recruiting in South Carolina. It's a big deal that doesn't get talked about enough, I think, at this point used to get talked about a lot, doesn't anymore. Hugh Freeze, he checks that box, making sure to work his faith into a lot of things. It's called the Bible Belt for a reason. So if you really want to take some of the real estate of what Dabo, this is probably the thinking, Ray Tanner in South Carolina right now conducting the search and their university president. Hey, let's let's get our own Dabo in here. A guy who could talk about his faith, a guy who can, you know, be young and energetic a guy who has a history beating Saban. We want our own Dabo to go up against Dabo. Neither of those two are my favorites for the job, though. I'm looking for a 100% inverse of Will Muschamp. That's often what happens when someone gets fired. Their replacement is an inverse of what their predecessor was. Whether you're talking about the accountant in your office or you're talking about your receptionist, if the receptionist was lazy, and that's why he or she got fired, well, odds are the replacement is going to be very particular. That's going to be a thing, very organized. That's going to be a thing that whoever's hiring is focusing on. The problems that people have with Will Muschamp, it was he's a defensive-minded coach, unimaginative offenses, and he was a name. We just hired this guy that, you know, was a great D.C. at Texas, was a head coach at Florida. I didn't really like the hire at the time, but I think outside-the-box thinking could really help you here. I like the guy at Coastal, Jamie Greenwell, to be South Carolina's next coach. I get some would knock him because he doesn't have a lot of FBS coaching experience, but his team's in the top 20. He is an offensive-minded coach. He will view South Carolina as a destination job, not a stepping stone in any way. He spent 15 of the last 16 years coaching college football in the state of South Carolina, has head coaching experience. That's a guy that I like. Robert, speaking of Coastal, they are hosting College Game Day. College Game Day is going to be at Myrtle Beach. What ideas do you have for what Game Day can do to best stage Myrtle Beach, to tell people what Myrtle's all about? Dirty Myrtle. For people who haven't been. I think they should do something
0: at Dick's Crab Shack where they maybe put a bib on the guy and oh. have random
1: insults for like each person. The spray brush t-shirt idea that a listener sent in, pretty good. Where I like the idea of the spray brush t-shirt being the, the suits that they would wear otherwise, but it's on a t-shirt. That'd be pretty cool as they sit on the set. Maybe they do it from the boardwalk. Like have the set on the boardwalk and have the pier in the background and have the Ferris wheel in the background as well. That's what I think of when I think of Myrtle. You think of the Ferris wheel? I think of the Ferris wheel. I think of the boardwalk. They have the M&M shop there. I'm not thinking in the debaucherous terms that you're thinking of. Mm. There are a lot of ways they can best represent Myrtle Beach. You want to throw one more out? Dad, uh, okay. I think
0: we've went through most of my stuff over here. All
1: right. Don't want to get to the stuff that isn't suitable for radio.
2: Get it? Well, that's not funny. Back to the drive. That's moronic. <laughs> With Josh Graham.
1: A lot of you know that I went to East Carolina, so I followed their football program closely over the years. Well, this past weekend, the Pirates rolled a good SMU team in what turned out to be their season finale. ECU finished 3-6, and six, but with consecutive wins, and that might not sound like a big deal to you at face value, but let me add some historical context to this. East Carolina won its finale. Uh, they haven't won their finale since Lincoln Riley was calling plays in a bull win over Ohio in 13, and they haven't entered the offseason with a winning streak since Chris Johnson was torching Boise State in 2007. So there are good vibes in Greenville, America right now, where Mike Houston, the head coach of the Pirates, now joins us. Coach, the time's always appreciated, so let me just ask you, what does ending on a high note represent for you and your kids?
2: Well, it's – you know, it's, it's – the momentum is something that's it's, – it's, it's great to have going in the offseason. Uh, you know, the important thing for us is to capitalize on it. But, you know, the, the, the big thing is just, you know, since I took the job – you know, which has been uh two years ago tomorrow. Um you've basically completely, you know, tore down and started rebuilding an entire program, you know, because you had to start from the ground up uh just with you know where things were when I took the job and it's it's been there's been some difficult times. Uh you've really yeah I think we've been very uh you know direct and intent with how we have built the roster, uh, and, you know, all that hard work and all the progress, you know, is now culminating in performance on the field, uh, how we represent the program and the university off the field, performance, you know, and other aspects of our players' lives. And, you know, everything is in a positive place right now as we transition into what we hope is an off-season uh, that we needed a year ago. You know, that's the thing that you know all of us were dealt across the country is we lost spring, we lost summer, we lost the development uh, this past year. So now we have this positive momentum going into what is going to be a very critical next eight months for our football program.
1: This quote that you gave, I haven't heard the full context of it, but I, I hope it's exactly what it sounds like it is. You said – The biggest thing I need is for everyone to just leave me the hell alone for a few years and let us grow. Because I just see, you know, you see Willie Taggart fired after less than 20 games. You see coaches that are fired in year two, and people will say, oh, why would I feel sympathetic for coaches that make so much and all these things? But you look at what it used to be, how much time coaches used to get to build things. doesn't really happen so much anymore. So I just wanted to ask you about this quote and what exactly you meant by it.
2: Well, I, I meant exactly what I said, um, you know, and now I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me at all, but, you know, the fact is, you know, I, I gave up a 10-year contract at a school where I had the program winning at an extremely high level and, you know, paid part of my buyout to come here because I wanted to be at East Carolina University. And yes, we inherited a mess, but this place has incredible potential. I mean, has, you know, the ceiling is just, you know, as high as, as possible here. And, you know, we had to start from the ground up, but there's so much good in our players and in our program right now. It just needs to mature. That's all, um, you know, we're, I think the third youngest uh, roster in all of FBS football. And I would say the players that we had on the field may have been the youngest team in FBS football and we're highly competitive this year, you know, if, if, if we are given the time to develop and grow this roster, you're going to look up in a couple of years, and East Carolina is going to be going toe-to-toe with the very best in the American and, you know, across the country. And I firmly believe that because because of how much I believe in these kids we have in our program, how they're working. And just I'm so proud of how they represent themselves and the institution. And I'm proud of their performance in the classroom. I'm proud of the things they do in the community. And they've done all this during a global pandemic. So um, I could not be more excited about this offseason. I just want people to let us do our jobs. That's all.
1: ECU coach Mike Houston with us here on Sports Hub Triant. I'm so glad you brought up the youth and how young your team is because keeping it positive, ever since the ruling was announced, I felt the NCAA making this season a freebie in terms of eligibility benefits programs like yours more than, let's say, a Power right. 5 school that's more likely to be loaded with several players, leaving early for the draft. Do you view it as a big help as you look at roster construction for 21?
2: Yes. I mean, that's I had a lengthy team meeting with our team yesterday before we let them go for Christmas break and that was the the theme of my whole meeting was, you know, nobody could have anticipated, you know, the pandemic, you know. And I'm I'm not talking about football. I'm talking about everybody worldwide and certainly there's been, you know, so much pain and suffering caused because of it and you know, it's it's hurt programs. It hurt us. It's hurt a lot of us. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, that extra year of eligibility combined with our youth, combined with the momentum we have right now, you know, we have a moment where if we all capitalize, I mean, we, the players, the coaches, the administration, the, the support staff, if we capitalize on this moment right now like we can over the next eight months, eight months, we could significantly uh, change the direction of the program and, you know, just do something really, really special in in preparing a team to go into 2021 that just has a lot of potential and is only going to improve every single week for the next several years.
1: I remember the last time we spoke was a few weeks before your season opener against UCF, and you were thinking – I hope we even kick this game off. You could just feel the intensity, not just for you, but all coaches. There was a tension of, I have no idea if we're going to kick this thing off. And it was terrifying week to week for many coaches, figuring out what was going to happen with their schedule and whether or not they were going to play. Let's assume now that this season's over, things are normal or close to normal for the 2021 season. Decades from now, Mike Houston, how do you think you'll remember coaching during a pandemic this year?
2: <laughs> you know, we we took a team photo on Sunday and you know, you look at the photo and everybody's got a mask on and that's kind of how you'll remember it. You know, you coaches, you know, we're we try to control everything. And what this year, what this year was is you couldn't control anything. You know, you had no control over any of the circumstances testing contact tracing playing not playing travel protocols is just everything you had to learn to adjust on the fly and make the best out of really difficult situations so you know, the thing i will remember about it is just you know, we actually played a college football season during a pandemic when most of the country is either shut down or halfway shut down and it's just it's bizarre uh it's yeah, I've, I've, I hope I never experience anything like it ever again.
1: Like many things, I would like to imagine you uh, right now going back in time to last year and trying to explain that team picture to 2019 Mike Houston. Hey, look at yeah. this entire team in masks. Why are they all wearing masks? Well, you'll find out soon enough. Mike Houston's with us here, yeah. uh, ECU football coach. Let's broaden things a bit in college football. The second playoff ranking is going to be unveiled tonight. The one team in contention for a playoff spot that you face this year is Cincinnati, but they're ranked behind Ohio State, which has played literally half as many games as the Bearcats, plus Florida and A&M are positioned ahead of Cincinnati despite having a loss apiece, while, of course, Cincinnati is unbeaten. Oh, and Cincinnati's played more games than both those teams. As a coach who's in the American Conference, is this frustrating for you to watch?
2: It is. I mean... It is, it is, and I get it. I mean, it's, it's, it's. You gotta, you're always gonna be biased towards your league. Uh, I think the Americans proven itself to be one of the top conferences in the country, Uh, inside, outside. Power five doesn't matter. I mean, it's on the field. They have established what they can, what they can do, going toe to toe with anybody. Um, Cincinnati is a really, really good football team. I'm telling you, they are, they are old. That's number one i mean they are they are fourth and fifth year players they are they have great size, they are fast uh and just you know very very talented um and very well coached i mean it's they're they're a complete football team. I think they could go toe to toe with anybody in the country in any conference and so do I think they deserve to be in the discussion absolutely um do i do I get why you know perennial powers? that you know year in and year out are always in the discussion, you know, why they may, you know, be shown, you know, more uh respect, whatever you want to call it, at this at this point in time, I I get that. I get that. I mean, you know, Florida, Florida is going to be in the discussion virtually every year. Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, you know, they're going to be in the discussion virtually every single year. Ohio State, whoever it is, because that's what their program is. And so I get it.
1: But you're also somebody who's come from an expanded playoff system in FCS, had a chance to see how it works, and you just talked about this yeah. team meeting you have with your guys and with the youth and this extra year. Maybe potentially you could be the team in Cincinnati's shoes trying to knock on the doors uh, of the college football playoffs. How much expansion might you be in favor of in FBS, if any at all?
2: I think we've got to be careful. Uh, I, I think that you know, to somebody that's not – uh, you know, a day in, day out, you know, every single uh, week, a part of FBS football, it's easy to sit here and say, well, will not you just expand to, uh, you know, 16 team playoff or whatever, you know, whatever number you want to put in there. But I'm telling you, it's the the wear and tear on players. By the time you get to the end of the year, uh, it's, it's significant. And I think you got, you have to be careful with how many games you play in a calendar year. And, you know, my perspective of that comes from, you know, we had back-to-back years at JMU. We played 16 games, you know, went all the way to the national championship game both years. And when we made it to that third year, there were guys that were just beat up, you know, they, because they didn't have the time to recover before the next season started. And so um, I think you got to be careful. Uh, do I think you could expand it beyond four? Yes. But I don't I don't I don't see it ever going beyond eight. I mean I just and I, I just I don't even know if that's wise. And certainly I think it's just something you, you there really has to be a lot of thought put into how many games can we safely play within a calendar year.
1: Coach, congrats on the season. Uh, Getting finished with it, the finish, was really uh, neat to watch with the wins against Temple and SMU. Hope we could chat sometime during the offseason because, you know, I tell people, your coaching career began in the triad. That should not be forgotten, that your coaching (laughs) career began in the triad. Appreciate you spending the time. It did.
2: It did. I'll tell you, I'm I'm appreciative to the state of North Carolina because I've had great memories all across this state. And uh, there are people... Uh, in every corner of the state of North Carolina that are important to me and and that uh, I care about deeply, so I'm uh, I'm 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 always happy to get on the phone with anybody that uh, is uh, anywhere else in the state. Go Pirates!
3: This is it. Are you ready? All right, hold on. All right, do it, do it, do it. All right, listen up. It's the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub
0: Triad.
1: It might surprise you when I say that Duke exceeded my expectations in their opener against Coppin State, but I really do feel that way because of the play of their freshman. Jalen Johnson, to me, he mirrors Jabari Parker in many ways, both 6'8", 6'9", really long, versatile guys, maybe not a reliable perimeter shooter, but can hit perimeter shots nonetheless. I love what he brought to Duke on Saturday, had a first half Double double, a ton of blocks to boot. DJ Stewart, he's another freshman. I didn't really know what I was going to get game one. He comes off the bench for 24, and he looks like to me to be the first high volume perimeter shooter Duke's had since you could argue Jason Tatum or Brandon Ingram. I get it's a small sample, but I think somebody who's had a similar takeaway in terms of what he wanted to focus on. From Duke's opener is Brian Geisiger, who now joins us. Our resident basketball hoops nerd who joins us from accsports.com who just put a story up on DJ Stewart and Jalen Johnson's opener for Duke. Duke getting set to face Michigan State tonight at 7.30. BG, the times appreciated. Again, acknowledging it's a one-game sample. Don't want to freak out. Don't want to overreact. But that was my reaction to game one. Jalen Johnson... A very strong resemblance to Jabari Parker, and I look at DJ Stewart as somebody that Duke hasn't had in a while. What stood out to you?
3: Yeah, I mean those those guys were the headliners, and, and even Johnson has like a, a a flair for playmaking that, as as gifted and as as graceful as Jabari was athletically in terms of volume scoring when he was at Duke. Um, that that Johnson has, that's that's like a thing, that's a gear that he has that's different than Jabari, like his ability to set guys up and you saw his ability to drive and spray passes out. And, and again, I think that's going to pair really well with Matthew Hurt, um, especially when, you know, can re- let Duke really get to some of these five outlooks. And, and Johnson in transition is a guy that can grab a, grab his own defensive rebound and immediately start pushing the basketball. And you have four guys filling the lanes You have Matthew Hurt spacing out. You have uh, DJ Stewart spacing out. So, Johnson, just what he can do for them in terms of his transition and in terms of what he can do playmaking, um, I'm going to be fascinated to see. I mean, obviously, stuff's going to get tougher in the half court, and I do have some concerns with Duke's um, half court offense. But in and, and Stewart, just like what an excellent, uh, in terms of his debut, and again, small sample size caveat with all of this, just a wonderful game of secondary offense. Like, it, it's, the game can be simple when the equation is. Throw it to me when I'm open. If I'm open, I shoot the three. If not, uh, you know, pump and go and go to the rim. And you saw him finish at the, with a couple of layups, reverse layup, floater. His movement without the basketball was excellent. He scored off cuts. He scored off pin downs. So um, it just it looks like they're a real weapon um, for, for Coach K and Duke. And Yeah, those guys are going to have to create a lot of the offense for the Blue Devils because point guard – this may be a little bit of a mystery for them at the moment.
1: Follow Brian on Twitter at bgeis underscore bird. Read the story he has on the Blue Devils opener at accsports.com. This stat I just read is kind of crazy from Adrian Atkinson, who follows North Carolina really closely. He says, with Dayron Sharp on the court, North Carolina, through the first two games, has an offensive rebound percentage of 55 straight up, 55.0 and a defensive rebounding percentage of 79.4. Without him on the court, those numbers fall to 31.9% offensive rebound, nearly 25 points lower, and 74% defensive rebounding percentage, five points lower than where it was when he's on the court. I say that to set up a question about North Carolina's bigs, where I think when you look at the upside that these freshmen have, Walker Kessler, who is a legit seven-one, legit three inches taller than both Armando Baycott and Garrison Brooks. And you look at Dayron Sharp, who's potentially a one-and-done. He can pop threes. He's 6'11", has great de- uh, defensive instincts. Uh, I'm interested in how Roy should approach these bigs, how he rotates them, because it's probably the best collection of bigs I've seen on one college basketball team, dating back to that Kentucky team in 15'. That platooned Carl Anthony Towns and Willie Cauley Stein with I think Marcus Lee and Dakari Johnson that was on that Kentucky team as well. Do you think that's something Roy might even welcome looking at platooning these bigs?
3: Yeah, actually, I wrote a story like way back in March or April, just sort of like wondering aloud as to how you know he was all of this was going to be managed Um, because you think about it this way. Roy has 80 minutes per game in a 40-minute game. He's got 80 minutes per game to play his four and five, right? And he's got four guys that are deserving of playing time. And it doesn't work as simply as, we'll give all these guys 20 minutes, right? And then you have this other constraint, which is you can't play three of these guys together. Like, maybe at some point they'll, tr- they'll go with the, the anti-gravity lineup and they'll play, you know, Garrison Brooks with the three or whatever. That, I would not advise them in doing that. But Roy has also juggled with some, you know, some really talented front lines before. I think there's a chance this one could look a lot like the twenty seventeen front line that won a title. This one has more talent because Sharp is really, really good and potentially like a lottery pick. But that twenty seventeen UNC team had Kennedy Meeks, had Tony Bradley, who was a first round pick, had um, Hicks. Luke May as a freshman, and Isaiah Hicks, who was like, you know, had a cup of coffee in the NBA as well, too. That team led the nation in offensive rebound rate as a team all season. They rebounded over forty-one percent of their misses, um, and I think UNC is going to have to win a similar way this year. Now that worked out that year because a little bit because May could stretch the court a little bit, and you didn't need to pay him play him as much as the other three guys. And I think maybe you can sort of fit Kessler into that mold because he has a little bit of stretch. And he's not as well thought of as um, certainly as DeRon Sharp, who again looks like an NBA prospect, even though he did not play very well against Vegas last night. And then Baycott looks great, back for his sophomore year. And then, you know, Brooks is the heart and soul of the team and is a very good, uh, you know, four-year player, three-year starter or whatever. So it's going to be tough, and it's gonna, I think there are going to be some games that are not going to be real pretty to watch because they don't have a lot of wing and perimeter shooting to sort of assuage some of the, the lack of front-court sp- spacing options they have. But they're going to just absolutely bludgeon teams on the glass and with put-back points. And, yeah, Sharp is a huge key to that. Not only because he's a great rebounder, great decision-maker as well, can pass a little bit and really, I think, has the chance to be their best defensive big guy as
1: well. All right. The time's appreciated, BG. Get back in your bunker where you're writing, where you're tweeting at BG underscore bird. You can find his work at accsports.com. There's just so much to watch, I'm sure, with basketball all throughout the day. Thanks for doing this, buddy. Of course. There you go. That's Brian Geisinger joining us right here on Sports Hub Triad. Duke and Carolina of interest. Let's get to Wake Forest football where we caught up with Dave Clawson earlier today. They haven't played in a while. Haven't played since that North Carolina game where they were up by 20-plus points, spoiled at losing 59-53, had a COVID case within their program, lead to the postponement of some games, including a cancellation against Duke. Now they're looking ahead. Notre Dame's on the schedule for the 12th as of right now, but Dave said that everything's kind of up in the air at the moment. They're still planning as if they're going to play the Irish in Winston-Salem, not this weekend, but next weekend, and they're still planning to play that game on the 19th. Heck, he even told me, if the players want to, we want to play in a bowl game. We want to play in a bowl game even though you're seeing bowl games get canceled like the military bowl, or not the military bowl, the pinstripe bowl in uh, Yankee Stadium or the Sun Bowl, which has been played every year since 1935, not going to be played this year. That was announced yesterday. Dave was adamant that he wants to play these bowl games, but it wasn't all doom and gloom. Hey, we're dealing with COVID. We're trying to play these games. It's hard. Great news over the weekend that a former Demon Deacon stepped on the field and started an NFL game. Now, Kendall Hinton didn't win the game, of course, but he drew a lot of respect across the league for being a practice squad receiver, having to play quarterback in a game against one of the 10 to 15 best front sevens you're going to find across the NFL. For that, Dave wanted to uh, express a ton of respect and also praise upon former Deacon quarterback and wide receiver Kendall
3: Hinn. I mean, Kendall almost walked away from football after the 18 season. And uh, all I could think about is, man, I bet you he's sure glad he came back now. But just so proud of him. You know, I had been texting him, uh, you know, the last two or three weeks uh, when he got re-signed to the practice squad. And I was going back and forth with his mom during the game. And... Again, just so proud of him. Um, and, you know, he's a competitor. I thought just the way he handled himself the entire 24 hours, the game, the post game, uh, I think he made every demon deacon proud.
1: Nothing annoys Robert more than when coaches leave a tab open that leads to a sound being made during a sound bite.
0: It's just not that hard to turn system sounds off. Like, no one enjoys those sounds. You can just turn them off.
1: I don't know. That kind of was a pleasant one. Can I hear that sound again? Can we find it? Again, just... Oh, yeah. That's
0: not...
2: That's a
1: pleasant... Let me hear it one more time. Again, just... That's great. It just kills me. It really does. I wish people could see your face when that happened. Because
0: half the time I think it's me. I'm like, did I leave something on? Did I turn something on? Nope, just (laughs) something in this daggum sound clip. That's
1: how it goes. Uh, At about this time tomorrow, Wake Forest basketball coach Steve Forbes will be with us. So while we were updating North Carolina basketball and Duke basketball with Brian Geisinger, Wake Forest has been on pause. Not going to play Troy tomorrow, so instead, what is Coach Forbes' consolation prize? A chat with your friends at The Drive with Josh Graham. I'm sure he's really happy about that. Coming up, the two teams I expect to be NFC front runners at about this time next month. Keep it here on a Tuesday Drive. Stand by as we continue
0: our dig for the truth And the toy at the bottom of the cereal box.
2: Oh, got it. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad.
1: The Seahawks, right here on Sports Hub Triad, won on Monday Night Football last night. A bad beat late. I enjoyed that game and the chess match between D.K. Metcalf and Darius Slay. A lot of one-on-one matchups there. But I've seen enough with Seattle, with its last two games being in prime time, winning on Monday Night Football, winning on Thursday night against Arizona before that, to think that they are one of the two teams I could see evolving into an NFC favorite as we head into the playoffs. Because anytime we talk about In a one-and-done format, who the favorites are to win the Super Bowl, it's all about who's healthiest, of course, which you have to factor luck into, especially with COVID, who doesn't have COVID. Um, That's going to be factored in. Hard for us to really project what's going to happen on that front and who's playing their best football at the end of the year. The calendars flip the December. It's now the time to start looking at schedules, who has the most room to grow, Who's going to be ramping up play so that when the playoffs begin, they are primed to be an NFC favorite? The problem with the NFC, there isn't anybody obvious who you'd view to be the front runner. The Saints, they have the best record along with Green Bay, but I still feel like with those two teams, there isn't a lot more upside to talk about with them. Do you really see another level from this Green Bay team or this New Orleans team? Taysom Hill, he's winning games, but he's beating bad football teams. When Drew Brees comes back, how healthy is he going to be? What's going on with his ribs? What's going on? What type of Drew Brees are you going to be getting? That's a really big question mark that prohibits me from picking them to be the NFC favorite regardless of how good everything around him is. Then you have Green Bay. Same story we were t- kind of talking about last year. Eh, okay, you're winning games, but are any of these wins really impressive? What's their best win as you look at it? They got some bad losses. You're losing to the Vikings. You're losing to Tampa Bay. Considerably a really big loss there. I, it's hard for me to get out of my mind how bad they got beat by San Francisco in the NFC Championship game with Jimmy Garoppolo throwing eight passes. It seems this is a team that could play really well in the regular season, tailor it up there, but they hit their peak and they bottom out when they get further in the playoffs, second round or potentially the NFC Championship game. So Seattle's a team I think can be an NFC favorite when we get to that point. The other team's still Tampa. I know some of you think I'm nuts on this that I'm standing by the Bucks when they've lost to the Bears, when they lost to the Rams on Monday night, when they got beat by Kansas City. I know it was a three-point loss, but goodness, they were getting rolled in the first half, giving up a ton of yardage to Pat Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. They still have so much growth and so much talent on that roster. Room to potentially grow in the next month. That's a big deal for me. And schedule plays a big part into this as well, both with Tampa and Seattle. Robert, did you know Seattle and Tampa have two of the three easiest schedules remaining in the NFL? I did not. That makes a lot of sense, though. Here's what you got. Tampa's last four games are against Atlanta twice, Detroit, and Minnesota. That's three, maybe four wins, which... Again, we'd get them to 10 or 11, right where we thought they'd be going into the year. They are exactly what what we thought they were, which is, again, a team that could contend in the NFC, going to win double-figure games. Seattle, here's what they got left. The two New York teams, Giants and Jets, San Francisco, Washington football team, and the LA Rams. The only team with their winning records, the Rams. That's the remaining schedules. For Seattle and Tampa, it's about who's playing their best ball at the end. It helps if you're not playing great teams. So, mark my words, perception might not be great for Tampa right now. That's going to change. Tampa and Seattle, they're going to be playing their best ball in about a month, and they're going to be primed, ready to go to be an NFC contender. The potential and upside for Seattle... Comes with their pass rush. The addition to Carlos Dunlap getting healthier. Jamal Adams has been part of the fold for the last few weeks. They're starting to learn to play together. They're figuring some things out. And they're getting a run game. They looked really good on the ground. Probably should have been even better yesterday if not for that phantom holding call that prevented a Chris Carson touchdown in the fourth quarter. They ran the ball against Arizona. You don't need... To give Russell Wilson a lot of help, you just got to give him some help. Tampa Bay, it's about chemistry. It's about gelling. Tony Romo, he gives you so much information on the broadcast. Some take take it as him going to bat for his friend Tom Brady, and there might be some of that there when it comes to these production meetings that you hear a lot about. But the ways he explains things, that in New England, a lot of, of what they did was intermediate routes, crossing patterns, slants, and Tampa is trying to gun it down the field. That's what Bruce Arians is about. They give the wide receiver a chance to read on plays, not just the quarterback, which is something Tom never had to deal, uh, deal with with the New England Patriots. That Those are things you have to get adjusted to. But if I have confidence in anybody to figure that piece out, to figure out things schematically over the next week, over the next month... It's Tom Bleep and Brady. Russ and Brady are just too good to not figure this out. Russ is in his prime. Brady, it's kind of like Jordan when he wasn't in 98 at the peak of his athletic powers, but figured out ways to win with his mind. It was a mental game. That's what Brady's trying to do. And I'm confident he's going to have Tampa Bay in a place where we're talking about them being an NFC contender. Seattle and Tampa, those are the two teams I like forecasting what it's going to look like a month or so from now as the favorites to go to the Super Bowl. Robert, I'm thankful for a lot of things, you included. We had our Thanksgiving holiday last week. I like the theme of staying positive. It's the holiday season. It's December. Be kind to people. Stay positive while so many people out there are not being positive at the moment. That's why we have this segment each week that we do called Weekly Positivity, where simply we put the bad stuff aside, all the anger, all the disagreement, and we just bathe in positivity. We let it wash over us. Let it wash over you, Robert. Whispering on the radio. Great for ratings, I've been told. If there's anything positive you have going on in your life this week, or right now, or something that you're thankful for, 336 is the phone number. Seven seven seven. Tell us something good. Hey, Robert. What's up, dude? Quite a bit. Oh, boy. We got the Bachelorette tonight. College basketball. Duke facing Michigan State. Kansas facing Kentucky. That's all very good. The college football playoff rankings. The second ranking going to drop tonight. That's good as well. Bennett about to go head to head with Noah on The Bachelorette. Looking forward to that. So that has me really excited. I think that's really good. Then of course you have the games in Maui that's actually being played in Asheville with Bill Walton and Benetti on the call. That's pretty good too. Bill Walton talking about Asheville and how much he loves it as he sits in his home out west. That's good. But have you had a pretty good week, Robert?
0: Yeah, I've had a good week. It's only Tuesday, but we're, we're trudging along through it. Me and my friends do something every week where we're... Somebody picks an album, and then we all listen through it and kind of talk about what we like about wow. the songs.
1: Wow! What album did you pick out?
0: Uh, I didn't pick it. It was my buddy uh, Trevor. He picked Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, Smashing oh, Pumpkins.
1: Oh! So I we, love that album cover. So
0: it, yeah, great cover. I uh, listened through the songs today. Really enjoyed it. Uh, and I, I don't know. We've only done this for about three weeks now, and it's it's kind of cool. I dig it. Can I get in on this? Uh. It'd be weird, yeah, but sure.
1: What are some other albums that you've done?
0: Uh, I picked my Beautiful Twisted Dark Fantasy oh by Kanye the first week. I love that album. Uh, the next week, my friend Eric picked To Pimp a Butterfly, Kendrick Lamar. Oh, yeah.
1: That's that's probably the best hip-hop rap album I've heard in the last 10 years.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good one, too. Uh, so I think I'm going to go off the beaten path when I pick next week. I think I'm going to pick some Billy Joel album. Mm. Do The Stranger. That's my favorite Billy Joel album. I'm doing this. I'm looking for deep cuts. So, if Oh, any- there's some deep cuts on the B side of that. If anybody's got deep cuts, any artist, hit Vienna, us up. Vienna waits for oh, you. Oh, man. That song will make me cry just about any time.
1: Let's go to Chris in Winston-Salem.
3: Chris, tell me something good. I mean, I just had a new brand new ch- uh, little boy, six pounds. Yay. Yeah. Yay.
1: What's his name, Chris?
3: Stefan. Stefan
1: Taylor. Did you name him after Steph Curry? No, um, no, I'm not that big of a
3: fan of his.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, congratulations. Is he gonna? Are you Thank gonna? Stefan. I'm sure there are some jerseys. You like how people have like Stefan or whatever your oh, first name yeah. is on the back of jerseys. I'm sure you can find one.
3: Oh yeah, hopefully it's Green Bay colors. You no. Know. There you go. Yeah, green Bay. Well, Chris, congratulations. Thank y'all. Y'all have a blessed holidays.
1: Yeah, that's weekly. That's uh, Chris getting in on weekly positivity. That's I went not th- the only thing he's getting in on. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah, Packer football. You're right. That's I went on the a Costco. I went on a Costco run last night. That was good. They had sales on cookie mix and ice cream. So I dove into that, and you know how they have it in bulk. A bulk that makes about 72 cookies. Guess how much that costs at
0: Costco? 72 cookies is probably, I'll
1: say $15. $5. Oh,
0: wow. That's
1: not bad. That is what we call a bargain. So is it just like Costco keeps the cost low?
0: Is it just cookie dough, basically, Uh in a big like yunk? Yeah. I would be too intrigued to like stick my whole hand, just grab a handful.
1: Did you say a big old yunk? A
0: big old, yeah, yunk, hunk, same thing.
1: And that's been Weekly Positivity. Seriously, deal me in on the album group. Because I love that. You are listening to WSJS, Winston-Salem, WCOG Greensboro, WPCM Burlington, WMFR High Point. Those signals make up sports I'm trying.